Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. How's it going? Good. Happy Cinco, Cinco de Mayo. Come on. Hey, I, I want to just... Uh, take a second and thank our Setup and Teardown team. If you are on the Setup and Teardown team, would you raise your hand real quick? Awesome. So for the first three years of Sozo Church, I was both preaching and on the Setup and Teardown team. And uh, I have finally worked my way off of that team. Um, And I feel like I got saved again. Um, (laughs) No, but seriously, I'm just really grateful for y'all who show up at 745 and put all of this stuff together so that we can um, come together as a family. That's a really big deal, and I'm really grateful for you. And for me, Sunday mornings, it gives me more time just to spend time in prayer and preparation for this time. And so I'm really grateful for you. So thank you. Seriously, thank you. Yeah. And if you want to be on the setup team... You're welcome to join that team. We, um, we're just looking for people that would serve once a month to help out with that. And you, what you do is you go to the table at the back and they will put you on the team. Um, or you can write something on that card that you just got passed. You can find that metal bucket. And yeah. All right. I, uh, I lost my watch this week. Yeah, so don't ever trust a preacher that doesn't have a watch on because you could be in trouble. Actually, I, I have uh, a habit of losing things in general. It took me about 10 minutes to find my keys this morning. And that's actually fairly normal, that it usually takes me about 10 minutes to find my keys in the morning, even though we have a hook by our door where keys go. Um, half the time when I'm looking for them, they're actually in my pocket. Anybody else? Yeah, I... Uh, yeah, I, I tend to lose things. All men. It's a men problem, huh? All the ladies said amen, huh? In fact, I am so bad at losing things, I lost my hair. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've had conversations. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're doing a series. I think we're going to call it Kingdom People. We'll see. Steve did an incredible job last week. If you, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. It was incredible. Um, and so I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God inside of you. And I've had several conversations with people about the kingdom of God. Uh, Matthew actually calls it the kingdom of heaven. And, and, um, and people often say something like this. If the kingdom of God is now, then how come there's still like, problems in the world? Or if the kingdom of heaven is here, then how come there are still issues in the world? And, and how come things are, are out, of, out of sorts? How come things are out of whack? How come people are struggling? How come I struggle? And I, I, I think sometimes we miss what the kingdom actually is. Jesus was being asked this question. If you go to Luke chapter 17, I think it'll be up behind me. Verse 20, the Pharisees say, when asked by When asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, he said this, the kingdom of God, which by the way, sorry, I have little ears and sometimes this thing comes off. Um, 
the kingdom of God is this. It is the rule and reign of God. And the kingdom of God has always existed because God has always been king. And so people are saying, when's the kingdom of God coming? And let me just say this. The kingdom of God has always existed because God has always been king. And so wherever he is, there the kingdom is also. And so when Jesus shows up, it's impossible for him to not come with the kingdom of God because he is the king of kings. He carries the kingdom wherever he goes. And so when he showed up on planet earth, the kingdom of God came there with him. And what happened is that he then offered to us the ability to enter the kingdom of God by faith. When we attach our faith to the person of Jesus, what happens is is that we actually enter into his kingdom. And so now we carry the kingdom with us. And so the kingdom of God is wherever God has rule and reign. And so it actually covers the whole universe. It's not just uh, a few places it's not just in heaven where God is, but it's actually over the whole earth. And so the Pharisees had a, a different expectation of the kingdom of God. And so when they asked this, Jesus replied to them, the kingdom of God will not come with observable signs. It's not going to come with something that you can see from the outside. You see, in those conversations when I would say, hey, you know, actually the kingdom of heaven is here and now, and people would say, well, this, this doesn't feel like heaven. I would think it may be not for you, but for me it does. Because heaven's on the inside. And see, what we're looking for is a manifestation on the outside. And though that does happen at times, where the kingdom of God should be planted is firmly in your heart, believer. And when that's the case, you actually have the rule and reign of heaven, which is not just about the afterlife. It's actually about the place that God fills. He rules and reigns. It's actually the place that you're a citizen of. And so we actually carry it inside of us. And so people are looking all around and they're looking for the world to be changed and then they'll believe and then they'll try to step into it. But it actually works the other way. That when we begin to carry the kingdom of God inside of us, it actually shapes the world around us. But so often we want sight and then we want to call it faith. We want to say, okay, now I've seen it and so now I can believe. And that's actually not the way the kingdom of God works. It takes believing to see instead of seeing to believe. And so Jesus says, look, the kingdom of God won't come by observable signs, nor will people say, look, here it is, or there it is. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Let me unpack that word midst, because that word midst is what either allows us to see the kingdom or to miss the kingdom. The word midst actually is best translated as in the middle of you. So it's not just in the middle of us. It's actually in the middle of me. It's inside of me. If you want to find out where the kingdom of God really is, it's inside of you. And then it externalizes from you as you live your life in subjection to the king, the Lord of Lords. And so if you want to see the kingdom come, you have to invite the kingdom to come here to be enthroned in your heart. And as we do that, we see the kingdom work itself out, out through into us and then through us to the world around us. Are you with me? And so in, in Romans 8, or Romans 10, sorry, Romans 10, there's this verse that we have, I'm afraid we have greatly missed this verse, and it has thrown us off incredibly. 
In fact, I think we've created like our own kind of like sort of Christianity from this verse. And we've missed the power of God available to us because of that. So go with me to Romans 8. I'm sorry, Romans 10, verse 9. It says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Let me talk to you for a second about that phrase, Jesus is Lord. That was not a new phrase in Jesus' day. Paul, when he's writing this letter, that was not a new phrase to them. They would have heard the phrase, Caesar is Lord. And they would have heard this other phrase, Caesar is King of Kings. And so the phrase, Jesus is Lord, or whatever is Lord, you fill in the blank. That phrase has everything to do with how your life takes form. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're not just acknowledging something. Scripture says that even the demons believe in Jesus. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're actually making a confession of our loyalty. Here's here's the thing. If you were a first century Christian and you were saying Jesus is Lord, what you were also saying, what you were also saying, but not saying, is that Caesar is not. And that phrase right there could get you killed. And, And so we miss it. And so we just think, I just need to say this prayer, Jesus is Lord, and God raised them from the dead, and then I can do whatever I want for the rest of my life, and I've got my ticket out of hell. But that's not what this is saying, because when you confess Lord, what you're actually doing is you're confessing loyalty. You're saying, I give over the sovereignty of my life to the lordship of Jesus, to King Jesus. And therefore, whatever he says goes. I am coming under his rule and reign and no longer do my opinions matter. But I actually surrender all of my rights to him. And so we say, well, you know, I just have like this preference, you know, I just, I just you know, there, there's like this little thing, this little appetite in me. And so, you know, I struggle here and it's okay because God forgives me. Absolutely, does God forgive you? But he forgives you in, by giving you the grace that empowers you to live differently. And so what we tend to do is we tend to miss it. And we think, okay, Jesus is Lord. I've said that. Now, now I've got my ticket out of hell and I'll be okay. That's not the point of confessing lordship. When you confess that somebody is Lord, you're giving up your loyalty, your, your rights, your sovereignty over your life. And you're saying, no, I'm coming into alignment with this lordship. No longer am I the king of my life. It's Jesus. And so often we miss it and, and, and we don't realize because we don't use the word Lord other than in church settings. We don't realize all that it means. And so a Lord actually demands loyalty, demands that they actually have the right to tell you what to do with your lives. You can't say, well, I feel like taking a day off. No, you have to ask for permission to take a day off and then you do whatever the Lord says. You you don't get to decide where you live. You actually come into agreement with the Lord and the Lord then tells you where to live. 
You don't get to say, I have this preference with my lifestyle. And just because I feel this way, that I'm going to live this way. No, you say, okay, Lord, whatever you say is actually how I'm going to live my life. You know, I, I just like uh, to, to drink a little bit too much on times. It's not, at times. It's not really a problem. I'm not confessing to you, by the way, right now. It's not my problem. Um, but we say things like that. And then, and then we, we think, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but, but I'm going to do what I want in this area. He's got most of my life, but my finances, not, not really mine. He, he, can, he can have like leadership of everything, but I'm going to raise my kids the way that I want to. Jesus is Lord, except for on tax day, Right? <laughs> And what we miss is that when we give our lives to Jesus and confess that he is Lord, we give up our lives to him. And here's the cool thing about lordship. The incredible thing about kingdom is that a kingdom is only as good as its king. And your life under the lordship of Jesus is as good as Jesus. But because Jesus is incredibly good, your life under the lordship of Jesus is way better than your life under your own lordship or anybody else's. And so when we give up, what we actually do is we get. We receive way more than we ever give up. But it does require that I surrender my will to his. In fact, when I pray your kingdom come and your will be done, I'm not just praying for it out there. I'm praying for it right here. And what I do is I'm saying, okay, God, and, and that phrase, your kingdom come, it, it means actually come right now. It doesn't mean come later. It means actually come right now in my life and your will be done. What I'm doing is I'm saying, God, I give up your will and I want to be in alignment with yours. I give up my will and I'll be in, line, in alignment with yours. And here's what that requires. That inquires incredible, requires incredible faith because we have to believe that he's actually really good and we have to trust that when I give up the rule of my life to him, that it will actually be better for me. And let me say this, 31 years in, it is. It's way better than it could have ever been if I was left to myself. Doesn't mean that it's always easy. And sometimes it's incredibly hard, but here's what's, what's, the best news about it is because the king is ruling and reigning in my heart, I can, I can face hardship. And like James writes to the early church, I can consider it pure joy. Why? Because I have the king of kings ruling in my heart, in my life. And so whatever gets thrown at me does not determine how I am. It's where, it's where I'm seated. It's who's seated in me. Amen. And so that means that how I live my life matters. That if Jesus really is Lord, then he has the rights to my life. And so, so often we say, you know, this is, this is just kind of like something I struggle with. Or this is like we just make room for ourselves and for our pet sins and our selfishness and our self-reliance. And we just make room for those things. And we just think, well, it's okay because there's grace. That's not grace. The grace of God is made available to you to empower you to live under the lordship of Jesus. And if you're struggling there, 
then there's more grace available. When you struggle there, there's more grace available. But it goes on. It says that you believe in your heart that God, that God raised him from, your, from the dead. Some of you are stuck trying to believe in your head. Like you're wrestling with Christianity and following Jesus because you're trying to figure it out in your head. This is the most ridiculous statement to your head. That a dead man is alive? Scientifically reproduce that for me again. Doesn't make sense. That's why we believe in our heart and then our heart begins to inform our head. And so we're, we get so stuck trying to believe with our head, but that's actually not where we're supposed to believe from. We believe from our hearts. And then I love this word. That's why we named our church after it. And then you will be saved. You'll be sozoed. You will be made whole. Here's what this tends to mean and all that it tends to mean to most of us, that I'll be saved from hell. Right? Like I remember as a kid, like, man, I, like I got saved like a dozen times because I just wanted to be sure that I wasn't going to hell. Let me say this, absolutely, hell's a real place and Jesus saves us from there, for sure. In fact, he's so good that he made a way, he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He didn't create hell for you, he created it for the devil and his demons. And he, he's so good that he made a way for you to get out of it. And he actually laid down his life and he said, over my dead body, will you go to hell? And so all he's saying is that you would believe, that you would confess. But here's what we've made it. Again, we've made it our fire insurance. This is not a fire insurance phrase. This is not just how do you get out of hell. The word sozo means to be made whole, to be restored. I believe the greatest restoration that can happen in our lives is the restoration to right relationship with God. And when we put our faith in Jesus that God raised him from the dead, when we confess lordship, what happens is, is that our lives get put back into right relationship with God, not based on our performance, but based on his. And when we surrender to him, what happens is, is that no longer does my relationship get determined by my performance, but it gets determined by the cross. That means I can't mess it up. That's good news. And it means that he's actually working salvation through my whole life that he's restoring me, that he is making my body right, that he is saving my soul, that he's changing the way that I think. He's actually changing my motivations. And when I surrender to him, no longer can I say, God, my motivations are just out of whack and I'm stuck in this place. But no, I, when I surrender to him, I actually invite him to come into me to change my motivations. Philippians 2.13 says that he actually works inside of us to change the way that we live. That's good news. And so he's inviting us to surrender so that we could live. Amen. And so lordship absolutely has a cost, but it comes with an incredible gift. And one of the problems that we've, that we've the mistakes that we've made is we've confused a part with the whole. We've confused the message of salvation for the gospel of the kingdom. The message of salvation is a key to the gospel of the kingdom, but the gospel of the kingdom is greater than the message of salvation. 
You see, we've just said, hey, if you would just come into agreement with this statement, if you just pray this prayer, then you'll get to go to heaven. But that's actually, almost every time it talks about the kingdom in scripture, what it's actually talking about is the rule and reign of God available to us now. It's not talking about the afterlife, not that there isn't an afterlife, not that we don't go to heaven, but what it's actually talking about is the rule and reign of God made available to us now in our lives. And when we begin to realize that, what we realize is that when we say yes to Jesus, what we're invited to is not just salvation from hell and into heaven, but we're actually inviting heaven into us, the rule and reign of God into us so that our worlds could be actually changed. Our lives could be made different so that we actually enter into the kingdom. It's in that moment that we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not when we die, but when we come into agreement with Jesus. And so what we're doing is we're saying yes to Jesus and we begin to live out his kingdom. And in that moment, what happens is, as Mark 13 says, that the the gospel gets planted, salvation gets planted in your hearts, just like yeast does in dough. And it begins to change everything inside of you and rise. It, It permeates all of your life so that every single cell of your body, every single thought in your mind comes into submission with the king of kings. And so often we make decisions that set up strongholds that say, God, you can permeate every area of my life but this one. And when we do that, what we're doing is saying, Jesus, you really can't be Lord. I want, I want this much, but, but not like, you, this is just going to be my pet thing. And I believe that we, the part of it is, is that we've missed the goodness of God and realized that, that actually when I come into alignment with him, that my life is going to be way better, that he's going to make provision for everything that he calls me to. Every standard that Jesus sets for your life, he then provides the grace for you to meet and, and succeed in every standard. He's never saying, clean yourself up and get to him. What he's saying is, surrender to my grace, receive it, and be transformed so that you can meet my standards. Years ago, my dad had given me a a truck, and it had uh, about 250,000 miles on it, city miles, construction miles. It had been driving equipment around and all that kind of stuff. The the truck um, was awesome. It was super loud. Like If it was in the parking lot, we would hear it right now. Um, and, uh, and it was big. And the problem was, is that it had an alignment issue. And so I, I had taken it to get the tires rotated, probably at, like discount tire or something like that. And they said, hey, you need to go and, uh, and, and get your alignment fixed because it's going to just continue to wear out your tires. And so I take it to the alignment shop. And in the alignment shop, they look at it and they like, they're like, this is really bad. And I know when a mechanic says really bad, what he really means is really expensive. And so he says, this is really bad. And he said, the, the thing is, is that if you keep driving, you're not just going to wear out your tires, but like your whole front end may just like fall off. And so I was like, oh man, that's not good. And so he, you know, gave me a, uh, gave me a, a estimate for it. And I'm like, man. This was free, but it's not free anymore. <laughs> and, and so I go home and I start thinking, man, I, I don't really want to pay out that much money. And so a few weeks go by and I still haven't paid out that much money. 
and, uh, and I'm driving, and I'm with Ryan Roberts and uh, uh, a guy named Ruben. We're at the end of my street. We're actually going to go, uh, go hunting. Um, and, uh, and all of a sudden, this car comes, turning the corner, and he runs straight into the exact place on my car where everything is out of alignment. And it was a miracle. <laughs> now, let me say this to you. He did not, in that instance, instant, put everything back into alignment. But what he did is he made provision for the mechanic by his insurance to put it into alignment. And I thought, man, we're all okay. God is really good. To me, I don't know about to you, but to me. And uh, so I ended up getting it fixed for free. Um, Let me just say this to you. Some of you need to have a head-on collision in your life. Because what's been happening is this, that areas in your life have been getting worn out because of the alignment issues that you're struggling with. There are things that are out of whack and, and there are ways that, that there's just unnecessary friction in your life. And you don't just need to go in for, for a tune-up or for some tires to be changed. You probably run through a lot of tires, whatever that means. And, um, and it, it's time for you to come to a head-on collision with God that would shape your life. Yeah. And you've already, you've, you've prayed the prayer. In fact, you actually thought that, that you were doing this thing the right way until you heard me start talking this morning about giving everything up to the Lordship of Jesus. And it's time to surrender. And it it may be scary, but I promise you it's the best thing that you'll ever do. So that story continues, and I hit a deer. (laughs) And so somebody bought me a brand new truck. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Um, Yeah, so maybe you need a whole new truck, too. I gave the busted one up to my brother, not the new one. I kept the new one for myself. So I think we've often missed the kingdom. We've missed the invitation to the kingdom because we've been looking for it all around us. When you read John chapter 3, most people read and they think, this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus about uh, eternal life, salvation in the afterlife. But actually what that whole chapter says, I think they have it up there. I'm, I'm for the sake of time. I told you I lost my watch, but there is one back there, so we'll be okay. Um, but what, what John is actually, or what Jesus is actually telling in this story is he's not telling how to go to heaven, although that's in there. Um, it's in between the lines. He never, says, he never says that. But what he's actually doing is he's saying, look, Nicodemus, if, if you want to see the kingdom of God come, the way that you're going to see it come is actually by being born again. He's not, he didn't say, and here's what we've missed. We've thought, well, when I die, I'll see the kingdom of heaven. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you, you'll receive the kingdom when the Holy Spirit gets inside of you. That's how you're going to see. He's talking about the kingdom of God as a realm that exists inside of ours or around ours, not as something that's far off. And we recognize that when we surrender to Jesus, 
what happens is, is he causes us to think and see differently so that we can see his kingdom. The kingdom, by the way, has an atmosphere. Jesus said to Pilate, when Pilate says, are you a king? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Here's what Jesus did not say. He did not say, my kingdom is not in this world. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. You see, like Steve said, the the kingdom comes when the Holy Spirit returns in our life. He said, we get the governor back. And what happens is, is the Holy Spirit is the governor of our lives and leads us into living a kingdom life everywhere we go. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is an atmosphere. Romans 14 describes really well what that atmosphere is. In fact, this is probably the most direct passage about the kingdom. It's pretty short, or description about the kingdom in the Bible. And it says this in Romans 14, 17, it says the, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Ghost. So you can tell where the kingdom of God is by those three things. Righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm going to add one, not, not because I think of no more than the Bible, but because the Bible says it. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And so I believe that the atmosphere of the kingdom is this that it is righteousness. Now, we tend to think righteousness is about my behavior. Righteousness is not about your behavior. It's about your relationship. Righteousness is about your standing with Jesus. And Jesus made us right. Say, I'm righteous. My righteousness is not based on my behavior. It's based on my belief. And so by belief, I'm put into right relationship with God. You know that we've made Christianity, oh, we've just missed it, y'all. We've made Christianity about behavior modification. It was never meant to be about behavior modification, about acting right. It's always meant to be about belief modification. And when my belief comes into alignment with who he is and what's available in him, it changes my behavior. We've done it the other way around and we thought if I behave rightly, then I'll be in right relationship. And that totally misses it. You can't get there on your own. What happens is, is that when I believe in him, he actually empowers me to live differently. Can you tell a tree by its fruit? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can tell it by its fruit, but it doesn't, it's not made by its fruit. I've got a lemon tree in my backyard that has produced zero lemons for me. It's still a lemon tree and we're waiting for the harvest. But let me say this to you. So often we think we're looking for fruit in our lives to, to make us think that we're in right relationship with God, the fruit will come out of your relationship with God. That means this, that you don't have to do anything but believe in God to be in right relationship with him. That you put your faith in him and then it bears fruit. You surrender to his lordship and then there's life that flows from that place. And when we miss it, we get stuck in religion trying to prove that we are what we don't actually believe ourselves to be. You're right with God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace. Here's what peace is. The word, Hebrew word is shalom. But what peace is, is it's actually the very power of God to drive out chaos. 
We're looking for peace as the absence of chaos, but it's actually way more powerful than chaos. It's so powerful that when Jesus says, peace be still, the raging waters calm down. You cannot determine the peace of God in your life, the rule and reign of God manifested in peace by your external surroundings. It's got to be inside of you. And when it's inside of you, it then flows to everything outside of you. But if you're looking for it to come by observable signs and say, hey, I'm in right relationship with God, so my whole world should be peaceful, that's the wrong place. You're in right relationship with God, so the inside of you should be at peace no matter what the storm is outside of you. And it's so much peace that it'll conquer storms. And it'll conquer storms in two ways. Sometimes it conquers storms by causing them to be calm. And sometimes it conquers storms by allowing you to persevere through it. But the peace of God inside you as King Jesus is Lord ruling and reigning in your life it will give you everything you need to make it through every single storm probably shouldn't have favorites with these but my favorite is joy I love the joy of the Lord and when the joy of the Lord man it has transformed my life I told some of y'all before my kindergarten girlfriend described me as a bump on the log. But the joy of the Lord is changing my life. It's wrecking me. And here's what joy is. Joy is very different from happiness, which is circumstantial. Joy is actually, it's like internal permanent happiness that cannot be moved or shaken. One of the best ways to understand joy when you look at the Greek language that it was written in, it's actually this. It's an awareness of God's presence. Scripture says that in his presence is fullness of joy. The more aware I am of God's presence, the more joy I have regardless of my circumstances. And I actually believe that the joy of the Lord is, should manifest in our lives. And that I believe, I believe this, that, that one of the best testimonies to who Jesus is is that we would be a people that would not always be so serious, but that we would carry the joy of the Lord wherever we go. That we would laugh. That we would have light in us because of the joy of the Lord. And, I, and actually, here's what God's been doing in my life, and this will offend a few of you if you're struggling with religion, um, is, is that the joy of the Lord has been dropped into my life in such ways where the Holy Spirit will come on me and I'll just start laughing. In fact, we were talking about the joy of the Lord and family church. I've talked to you about family church before. It's just when our own family just, just has time with Jesus. We dance around, we act super goofy. You will not see me dance like that most of the time. Though it's actually the only way I know how to dance. Um, and so we were talking with Eliza, our six-year-old, about the joy of the Lord. And we just said, hey, we're just going to wait and let the Holy Spirit bring joy. And she just starts cracking up, y'all. And she said, Jesus is tickling me. And, and, she, like, and, and then we were driving to school the other day and we were just talking. And she said, I think everybody should know that Jesus can make you laugh. And I, I believe that the church needs a good dose of holy laughter. Needs a good do dose of just being filled with the joy of the Lord. Amen? And then that verse in 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says, 
for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And you see, the kingdom of God inside of you, as you surrender to King Jesus, it empowers you. Because as Steve said, Jesus is not the king of subjects. He's not called the king of subjects. Although we are subjected to him, he's called the king of kings. Because scripture says that you are a royal priesthood, that you're kings and priests. And so, we carry the power of heaven inside of us. And so, you can tell where the kingdom of God is because it comes with power. Here's what power looks like. It looks like a few things. The word for it most often used in the New Testament is a word that's akin to dynamite. It's explosive power. That's not about special gifting that some people have, but actually that we would all carry the power of God with us everywhere we go. And and I I think sometimes we surrender our, our power to see the kingdom released in the world around us because we just don't, we're out of alignment there. We're not, we're not submitted and thinking, God, you could actually use me in that way. And I believe God wants to deal with maybe even unbelief in your heart this morning. You're probably being prompted right now. Hey, do I believe God that he actually wants to heal, that he actually wants to change things? And not just through special people, but through every single one of us. The other thing about the power of God is this, is that the power of God in my life is so that I would live a victorious life. So that I would live a victorious life. So that sin would have no hold on me. So that sickness would not determine my life or the lives, the lives of others around me. So that the devil, I cannot say that the devil is just getting one over on me. But I have to say, no, when I resist the devil, he has to flee. That's what James says. And so I don't have to put up with the devil harassing me because he has to flee in the name of Jesus. That in Jesus, I actually have authority over the devil. That's good news, right? And I believe that God is calling us to be a powerful people. That every single one of us would walk with an incredible power. And that, that power is not to exalt us over people. That power is so that we can serve people well with the love of God. So Jesus says this to his disciples, and I think, therefore, to us. In Luke 22, 29, he says, I confer on you a kingdom. Nobody else gives away kingdoms, by the way, y'all. Right? What Jesus has done is he's given his kingdom to us. Some may call that foolish. But what he's done is he's entrusted his kingdom to us his rule and reign to be implemented to the world through our lives. And that as we come under submission to him as Lord, what happens is everything comes into alignment in the way that the kingdom of God can actually extend to the ends of the earth. The kingdom of God is inside of you. The kingdom of God is inside of you. God has placed his kingdom in you. And he wants to see that kingdom cover the whole earth. I love this. One of my favorite theologians, Harold Eberly, wrote this. The kingdom manifests, or is made known, wherever people are in submission to the king. Business people who submit to King Jesus will bring the kingdom into their business. School teachers with a heart to please God will bring the king's will into their classroom. Artists who desire to glorify God 
will have the anointing of the king's spirit upon their work. Whenever and wherever people are doing the king's will, his kingdom is manifesting. Wherever you go, you carry the kingdom of God with you because it's inside of you. And it should influence every aspect of your life. You see, one of the, I think one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to get us to play church instead of to live kingdom. When we start to recognize what's inside of us, I believe that it changes the world around us. But if you're waiting to observe it from outward signs, you'll probably miss it. It's really subtle. What they were looking for is a political kingdom, and that's why they missed Jesus. And sometimes what we're looking for is, is, is for something that has our own definition to it instead of a biblical definition of kingdom. We think, well, if, if, if the kingdom is really this, then this should be this way. What I find is that as I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, that everything is added to me. I believe that God wants to manifest his kingdom through you, but first he wants to plant it deeply inside of you. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And what communion is, is basically it's our confession as kingdom citizens. It's saying, I'm in alignment with King Jesus. I'm in submission to him. I'm in covenant with him. I'm his bride and he can have his way through my life, in my life. And as we do, what we're doing is we're declaring, my faith is in King Jesus. My hope is in King Jesus. My life is surrendered to King Jesus. Are you in? And I believe as we do that, that God will shape the world around us. But he wants to start inside of me. He wants to change everything inside of me. He wants to clean it up so that I'm bubbling forth with joy that my righteousness is so evident to the world around me, not my self-righteousness, but people just know, hey, there's something about that guy that he carries Jesus with him wherever he goes. He must be in relationship with God. That my peace changes the world around me. Jesus, we love you. Stand with me. And we confess that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we choose to live in submission and in alignment with you. We believe that you rose from the dead. We believe that you gave up your body so that we could be healed and restored, made whole. We believe that you shed your blood so that we could be brought into relationship with you. And we thank you for your life given for us. We celebrate our union with you this morning. We thank you that you have wiped our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. We love you, Jesus. We love you a lot.